The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Adios, old friend. Yeah, I've got no secrets and no regrets. Well, a lot of regrets, but the point is I've got nothing to hide. Kind of like the way Progressive shows you their competitors' rates. You gotta put it all out there, baby. Excuse me, miss. Does this heart belong to you? Would you like it anyway? Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparisons not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Ah, the copperhead snake. It hisses before attacking. But that's not a copperhead. That's the Sullivan's RV freshwater tank overflowing into their black one, which is backing into their vent pipe, making for a very different kind of attack. One that arrives just in time for taco night. It's wild out there. When it gets too wild, Progressive has your RV covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. After the game, I, I noticed he made a point to find you and come up and say something to you. Can you share what he said? Do you remember what he said? Yeah, I mean, he just he said he supported me, um, and he knows I want it, you know, and uh, he just told me to keep working. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where after a loopy and frustrating kind of week for the Lakers, all it took was some Tyler Durden Fight Club antics and a Matrix Deloaded statement-type game this weekend to set everything back into place. So with Coach Luke and the team banding together and seemingly on the same page once again, the Lakers are fully ready to fall upward with pride to end the season. Or so we hope. So, Tommy... How cathartically lit are you after that D'Angelo career-high 40-piece game against Kyrie Irving, LeBron James, and the defending champ Cavaliers? Uh, well, I think cathartically lit is a very good way of putting it because... I know. Yeah, that was, that was nice. Uh, there's like, you know, a lot of built-up frustration, not just with how the season has gone. Um, oh my God, I'm sorry. <laughs> not, just with how, not just with how the season has gone, but like just generally with how certain players have been managed or... You know, maybe guys, especially D'Angelo, not necessarily doing what we thought we would see them do at this point in the year. Um, So for something like that to happen against the Cleveland Cavaliers on like a Sunday night game in L.A. at home at the Staples Center, you know, defending champs, uh, I thought that was like very it was just it was it was really nice. And we lost the game, so you get the best of both worlds. <laughs> right. It was a good game to just like release all of our angst and frustration and tension after a week that was totally upside down. And there were questions about D'Angelo's effort, whether we should trade this guy once again. And it eerily was very similar to last year when he also had a really good stretch and then he struggled again. And then he had that 39-point game that you were at against Brooklyn. Right. And then everybody was like, okay, maybe this guy has something. So... Yeah, last night was a very, very good game, very, very lit game, cathartically lit, and we'll get to that in a second. Tonight's show is brought to you by SteinerSports.com, the leading provider of hand-signed sports memorabilia and collectibles online. 
If you use the promo code ALMIGHTY2017 at checkout, you will receive 20% off your entire purchase. So go ahead and buy up all that. He was almost a Laker, Marcus Banks gear now. Marcus Banks. I have not heard that name in a long time. Can you explain to people who may not know who Marcus Banks is, why I brought his name up, and was he ever a Laker, Tommy? Marcus Banks was technically a Laker for like five seconds or something. He was involved in the Gary Payton to the Boston Celtics trade. And after we, and then as, as you may recall from that time, Gary Payton like refused to report to Boston and the trade was canceled or it was something like that. Um, the trade was called off after it was announced and Marcus Banks was a point guard that we were supposed to receive in return from the Boston Celtics. And for like the next five years, I swear to God, you could not hear the end of it. <laughs> Every Lakers fan would always be like, I can't believe our point guard situation. If only Mitch was able to get us Marcus Banks, but <laughs> but he failed. And then Marcus Banks, of course, ended up becoming like, I mean, he maybe had one or two seasons where he was remotely useful as an NBA player, but everybody was always so intrigued by his upside. I feel like he was like the original Marcus Smart. Like he was like this kind of stocky, strong point guard, um, and he was known for defense. No, totally. That infatuation was one of the strangest and most peculiar infatuations so that we've ever had. It's like we've wanted Dwight Howard for five years, and we've also wanted Marcus Banks for 25 yeah, seriously. years. seriously. So. And Jonathan Bender. <laughs> yeah, Jonathan Bender. So yeah, before we get started, please also follow us on Twitter, at LakersLegacyPod. Please also rate and review us on iTunes, because the more you rate and review us, that's how many times Brandon Ingram will pop out of nowhere and shove someone in your defense anytime you're being bullied or mistreated by anyone in particular. Doesn't even matter what the issue is. And it also doesn't matter he only weighs a buck eighty because he's always ready to go straight Super Smash Brothers gangster melee on someone's ass nice. if they're messing with his crew. So rate and review us on iTunes for the Ingram's Always Got Your Back special. Tommy, what did you think of the Lakers Fight Club team and Brandon Ingram always ready on the go at any moment to jump in defense of his teammates? I mean, I thought it was cool that Ingram was willing to do it. Um, he obviously can't do anything right now because he weighs like, you know, a lot of these guys who he was trying to fight like weighed more than he did when they were in high school. <laughs> <laughs> so he wasn't really going to do anything. But honestly, it, did, it didn't surprise me at all that he jumped in there. This guy has no fear. He grew up in... Not Kinston, all, yeah. North Carolina, which is like a very small town. It was, you know, they cover it all the time uh, in relation to Ingram stories. And he kind of grew, he kind of has that like blue collar, you know, small town, tough guy attitude about him, and which I really appreciate. And I think will serve him well over the course of his career. But it was nice to see him step in there. And I still have no idea why D'Angelo Russell got ejected after following that fight. He didn't it seemed like if anyone, Ingram should have... I mean, I saw some tweet that Eric Pincus uh, actually retweeted somebody else, but the only explanation I could take from that was the referees meant to eject Brandon Ingram, and they accidentally just ejected D'Angelo. Right, but it was peculiar, though, because the NBA issued a statement that they fined D'Angelo Russell after the fact as well, so they had time to review that. The fact that they stuck with it is really strange, considering all D'Angelo Russell did was give a soft shove to somebody. You yeah, know, so. what the hell? And then he kind of, like, backed away, like, oh, I'm not supposed to do this. Yeah, I have I have no idea, but yeah, that was a strange situation, but honestly, it helped the group band together again and g gave us one focus. How gangster is Luke Walton, by the way? Dude, this guy was, like, he was pissed after that game. He was telling people, don't touch my damn players i'm gonna take my tie off and strangle you i really like that luke walton really has his players back you know that was something yeah. that byron scott never did for these guys and 
Yeah, that was just, I think, a defining moment for the season, considering that before that happened, we were, I think, again, in a time where our identity was kind of lost with D'Angelo coming off the bench, a lot of questions happening, three bad losses in a row. So I feel like that game kind of set us back into a place where we can just end the season like as a one cohesive unit fighting for each other again. So. Yeah. Well, just to add on to that, too, I was pretty surprised. I mean, maybe there has been something and I didn't see anything that there wasn't more made out of that Ingram shove. Because, look, I understand. I know that guy was a security guard, whatever. He's not, like, a technically a coach or assistant coach. But I understand this idea that coaches are allowed to rush the floor to, like, separate people. I've mm-hmm. never seen a coach or anybody, I know, again, I know this guy's a security guard, get involved and, like, physically use force against someone. Like, yeah. make yourself a wall in between someone. Guide your own players away. To go to a guy from another team and shove him is completely crossing the line. Could you imagine if, like, Brandon Ingram got shoved and then stepped on somebody else's foot and then fell and, like, injured himself? I'm not, like, it's not that. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, and that, no, that's not that out of the question. There was a lot of people standing around there. Why does this guy have a right to go shove somebody out of the way? But, you know, like, fine, if you're going to hold him, if you're going to, like, block him... Fine. If you're going to do that to your, if you're going to grab your own guys, fine. Don't go to a, the opposing team and shove them. I was like, as pissed. It was nice for me to yeah. see Luke say that stuff because that's what I was thinking when I saw the uh, when I saw the play real time. I was like, why is nobody talking about you know? Like they, they kept showing it over and over and over. There was like a ten minute delay in the game and. And I was I was thinking, how come none of the commentators are mentioning like Brandon Ingram got shoved by this random dude for no reason? You know, yeah, it's it, it was that was a little bit ridiculous to me. Yeah, and it doesn't take much to just be a wall to a 180 pound yeah, dude. Just you know, stand so. in between him. You know what I mean? You don't have to physically push him out of the way. Like what what the hell is that about? Yeah, I mean the whole thing was just strange, right? Because I mean it's today's NBA. How soft are we? That yeah, was exactly. just like Nick Young just literally shoved this guy because he was like, hey, I didn't like the way that your arm went down on my neck and face. So just take it, you know. And Malcolm Brogdon wasn't going to do anything. I get it. Greg Monroe wanted to stick up for his rook, but I mean the way that it escalated was just silly but yeah I'm glad in the way that it helped band our team together and then kind of brought that fire back out of Luke and then the teammates were able to see oh yeah the coach does have our back and let's continue moving forward absolutely so yeah also lastly our t-shirt contest is still going on there's still time to enter I'll be drawing out of a hat the winner on April 1st you can just hashtag search it's lit LA or flash the progress and find our contest tweet quote that contest tweet use our hashtags it's lit LA and flash the progress also obviously just follow us on Twitter as well to get an entry and then retweet our episode 112 with Drew Hanlon which is pinned to the top of our timeline and you will instantly get an entry to our Lakers Legacy podcast t-shirt to win a Brandon Ingram Flash the Progress Try Blend Soft Ass t-shirt or an It's Lit LA Soft Ass t-shirt as well and I know Tommy Alexander right now is trying to rig the contest so he somehow wins so you guys have some competition so make sure to get on that as soon as possible isn't that right Tommy you're looking for a new sleeping shirt right that is right Okay, so yeah, with that said, before we get into the litness that was D'Angelo Russell and the Lakers game, uh, you know, March Madness is going on. There's a lot of really good games happening. Unfortunately, USC wasn't able to continue yesterday, barely lost to Baylor. It was a good game, indeed. But there were some 
players of note for the Lakers. And I'm talking about Josh Jackson and Lonzo Ball, who had very, very good games yesterday. And both of their teams, Kansas and UCLA, won and advanced. So Tommy was able to take a more in-depth look at those games. And yeah, Tommy, just let me know what your thoughts were from both of those guys. Uh, my overall impression were, was that I was like completely shocked, to be honest with you. I I have, you know, over the past few years, we've been in the lottery, right? So we've been lottery watching players for several years now. So I'm kind of used to this, but uh, I'm not purporting to be like a scout or anything like that. I'm just saying that to the extent we've looked at top ranked players in the tournament before, I've never really been that like overly, overly impressed by any of them. It's always like the random, like this guy's a really great college player type guys who look the best in the tournament, but those guys are never going to do anything in the NBA. You know, it's gone like all throughout the years, like Andrew Wiggins, that whole season, we watched him pretty closely. We watched him in the tournament. Kansas got upset. I think in the, they didn't even make the sweet 16 that year, if I can recall correctly. And, uh, no, neither of them, you know, they didn't look that good. Jabari Parker, Duke lost in the first round that year as like a two seed getting upset by a 15 seed. Every year this this tournament comes and the guys who are the top, top prospects I watch and I'm just never that impressed. So I went in with somewhat low expectations uh, into watching these two games and I was completely blown away. These guys have like, in my eyes, completely separated themselves I mean, Markel Fultz is up there, too. He's obviously not playing. But in terms of choosing a top three for this draft, I cannot. I mean, it would take very, very convincing evidence for somebody to show me at this point to not take one of these guys in the top three because they just look like NBA ready, like they were ready for the pressure. They were making plays off the drill. Josh Jackson showed some stuff that I had no idea Yeah, let's start right there. So Kansas beat Michigan State 90 to 70 in very convincing fashion. They came, they, they pulled away late. It was a, it was a closer game than final score indicated, but they did pull away late. And Josh Jackson had 23 points, three rebounds, two blocks, two steals on nine of 16 shooting, two for five from three. And this guy was doing some moves that I didn't know he had yeah. in his arsenal in terms of turnaround bank fadeaway shots. To yeah. He has a mid-range game to him off the dribble as well that I didn't think yeah. that he was capable of hitting. Also, just his ability to drive from anywhere on the floor. And I'm talking about that last play where he was out at the three-point line, shot clock running oh, down yeah, to yeah, five. Yeah. And he just went left-handed dribble all the way down for like a one-handed crusher hammer. That was, was like, oh, LeBron, shoot. dude. I mean, again, I'm not, not to say this guy's LeBron, but who have you seen in college who just done something like that? It was straight, straight off the dribble, you know, exactly. from the three-point line. That's, that's a huge distance to make up. And I thought he was just going to pull up for three at that point. But no, he just took it straight into the lane fearlessly. So, And then the stuff he's able to do in terms of catch lobs and get putbacks, because he's so strong down there, he's able to get hustle for rebounds and just put it back up. He's just a strong, strong dude. And one comp that's been flying around out there that I actually agree with is like probably an Andre Iguodala 2.0. And if his jump shot and three-point shot ever truly improves, then it could be so much more than that, you know? So right. the if, if your baseline is Andre Iguodala, that's great. Right. What else did you see from Josh Jackson? I guess you can also talk about his defense because that guy is uh, pretty insane. So that was something that actually, I knew he was a good defender. But again, this is something that we always talk about, like, oh, so-and-so has defensive upside, has the most defensive upside in this draft, you know? And then you watch them and it's like, Okay, I see the upside, but he's so raw that, like, I I don't know. Is this going to translate? I don't know, you know. Josh Jackson's defense is, like, there already, in my opinion. 
the way this guy, if you watch him play, he looks like a freak, a physical freak of nature out there. He's 6'9", and he towers over people. He's like a legit 6'9", okay? And he's, he's towering over dudes, but at the same time, he's moving his feet laterally on the perimeter, keeping up with guards. And his two blocks, I don't, I can't remember the second. I can't remember the second one exactly, but I know for sure on his first one, it was like a chase down block in transition. He had, I'm pretty sure he was the one who committed the turnover. Yeah, so Josh Jackson, he looked good at all, pretty much every position, help defense, on ball defense. He looked really good moving laterally on the perimeter and defending guards and I was just over. I was just impressed generally with his defensive ability at this age. Um, he's only going to get better because he's going to get stronger and he's going to get smarter. I, I think there's a very, very strong case to take him number two, and I think as we'll talk about in a second with Lonzo, I think there's a strong case to take him number two as well. Yeah, lastly on Josh Jackson, I thought offensively, the one thing that I was really kind of mesmerized by was how fluid he looked, mesmerized, was how fluid he looked handling the ball in transition. He just looks very fluid and uh, he looks very comfortable. Oh, yeah. And the one thing, the one thing, I think we were talking about this offline like a few weeks ago, but um, one thing, the one comparison that I sort of see when I watch him play, and this is a little bit exaggerated because this person I'm about to say was like an elite, elite ball handler, but I sort of get flashes of like Tracy McGrady when I watched Josh Jackson handle the ball just this like imposing 6-9 force and he's just like handling the ball like he's a point guard it's so weird or like at least like a very very good shooting guard in terms of handles and yeah or even like when I was watching the game people were comparing his size and handle ability to like a Kevin Durant for example so anyway something along those lines if you haven't seen him play it's startling because you're not expecting somebody that size to handle the ball that well. It's This is not like a 6'8", Harrison Barnes, small forward. This guy, I feel like he might even be under, like, listed too short at 6'9". He is like, he, I don't know what your but my impression was he was towering over everybody. It was pretty crazy. I think it's also because his physique is just so imposing and he's so strong that maybe that lends yeah. itself and also his hair, so who knows. Maybe it's his hair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but let's get to... Lonzo Ball. So, you know, Lonzo had, I think the first game he got injured a little bit. He had 15 points, three assists, four rebounds, but did shoot six of seven from the field, two of three from three. But this last game, apparently he was doing everything. I didn't watch the game, so you can kind of inform me on that end. But he had 18 points, seven rebounds, nine assists, two steals, only one turnover, and shot four for seven from three. So quickly, what did you what did you see out of Lonzo? So Lonzo Ball, if we end up drafting him, is going to be the new number one on Mike Sports LA most hated players list. <laughs> <laughs> he and the reason I say that is because he makes the game look so effortless. Like he, you'll watch an entire game, and it feels like he's not even trying. Like I, I was actually talking to Alan about this at some point, uh, not on this podcast, and Alan was like. The weird thing about Lonzo, because he Alan loves UCLA, watches every game. The weird thing about Lonzo is that he'll you'll he'll end the game and you'll look at the box score and it'll be like, oh wow, he had 18 points. But what you don't realize if you don't watch is 12 of those points came in like two minutes, mm. and that's sort of how he he has a really really good feel for the game. And he never looks like he's exerting that much energy. And, like, you'll start to see him, like, jogging around and stuff. And then all of a sudden, he'll explode in this burst of, like, two minutes where you cannot guard this guy. 
and I will say that despite how how good of a player he is, and despite all of the hype and all this nonsense coming from his dad, Lonzo could be way more of a jerk on the court, and he could he could like take way more shots than he takes. Nobody would complain. He's very talented. He could shoot the ball like thirty five feet away from the basket. So. I don't think anybody would complain. He's like the best player on the team overall and yada, yada, all these things. And despite all that, he's still very, very much a team player. There was this stretch in the second half where he, he had had like this really nifty layup, like this drive play where he just blew right past this guy and finished with his left hand in traffic. Um, and immediately followed that with two very, very deep threes. And the crowd is going nuts, and he comes down for his what you expect is going to be his heat check, like third, like even deeper three. And instead of taking the shot, he passes it. He passes it to this open dude who drives and kicks it out to another open guy, Bryce Alford, for an open three, and they hit another three. So it's not Lonzo, but he's willing to give it up to his teammates. And I'm actually less concerned about him offensively than I was earlier in the season in terms of being an NBA player because his shot release, although it's wonky, it's so quick that I don't think it's really going to be that. And he's he's tall for his position, so I don't think that it's going to be that much of a, a deterrent in his ability to get his shot off. And it also doesn't hurt that he can shoot it from 35 feet away, so... Anyway, I was extremely, extremely impressed by Lonzo. And when the game started, I was like, oh, okay, here we go. Josh Jackson, like, proved me wrong. But now Lonzo started showing me <laughs> what I expected. Like, he's not, he doesn't look that great. And, like, he kind of looks like he's half-assing it through this game. And then you just watch the whole game. He gets better. It's like he's choosing his moments, and he gets better as the game progresses. And he... Is not he doesn't overexert himself in the, like when he doesn't have to and when he finds his spots to to really take over it's like you can't stop this guy it's it's pretty remarkable yeah totally and you know his athleticism helps him with regards to when people close out on that three pointer because you know naturally people will say that's the only thing he can do but because he is more athletic or above average athletically at the point guard spot that will help him in the NBA and you yeah. know as we'll get to in just a little bit, just having a ball handler in the likes of Lonzo will really help a guy like D'Angelo out, especially because as we saw, if D'Angelo plays off ball at the shooting guard spot, it's not a bad thing whatsoever. So I think the main takeaway here is the Lakers are going to be in a really, really great position if they keep their pick because they're either going to end up with Markel Fultz, Josh Jackson, or Lonzo Ball. I have no complaints over any one of those guys. And I would, you could make a very strong argument that like, any one of those three guys would would be an immediate contention to be our best like asset if you want to if you want to make like an overall asset like power rankings board or something yeah, of probably. all the assets we have yeah no you it's pretty crazy but this draft is that stacked at the top to where i think any of these three you could make a very strong argument that now at 19 20 years old or whatever they are they're now our best asset which is pretty crazy yeah, for sure. With that said, we'll leave that talk right there and transition right into D'Angelo Russell. 40 points, career high, historic stuff. Here we go. Uh, I realized that when I was born, my arm would tingle. It would just tingle all the time. And I asked my mom what it was, so I got an x-ray and it was just ice there. But um, I don't know. I don't know. 
All right, so the Lakers lost in a great way last night to the world champion defending champs Cleveland Cavaliers with D'Angelo Russell getting his career high. 40 points, 6 assists, 1 turnover. He is the youngest Laker, believe it or not, to score 40 points. So this kid, once again, is doing historic stuff and... Once again, some random people who call themselves Lakers fans are surprised by this and say, oh, oh, we didn't know he could do this. But actually, this month of March, since the All-Star break, he has been doing this consistently outside of this past week where the lineups got jumbled, he got shifted to the bench, and everybody was worried once again. Looking at his stats since the All-Star break, in nine games, 34 minutes, D'Angelo Russell is averaging 22.7 points, 3.1 rebounds, 5.6 assists, Two steals, 47% shooting, 40% from three-point land on an effective true field goal percentage of 57.9%. So, Tommy, we called it a cathartically lit game. But what did you think of D'Angelo Russell's game against Kyrie Irving? Obviously, he went toe-to-toe against Kyrie Irving. That was a very exciting third quarter to watch them, you know, go back and forth. Kyrie Irving obviously had 46 points. But the fact that D'Angelo Russell just looked once again like the one guy on our team who can absolutely take over a game, take the game by the reins, and absolutely exert his force. Yeah, what did you think about D'Angelo Russell, and how did you feel? Did it validate everything we've been talking about on this damn podcast for the last freaking two years? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, it definitely did. Because this is what we saw in this guy when we wanted to, to draft him. You know, like the overwhelming majority of the population... Circa January of twenty. Sorry, I was pulling up his stats, and it came to a Byron Scott video, and it was just like the volume was all the way up. I don't know. It's like, what is this? A hip hop culture podcast? Um, <laughs> go ahead. Okay, so anyway, um, this is what we were all talking about this whole time when we were sort of ahead of the curve in like. January of 2015, when we were saying this is the guy in the draft that if we have number two, the Lakers should take a very, very serious look because I know the overwhelming majority of people are saying take Towns or Okafor, whoever doesn't go number one, because at that time Okafor was still in the number one convo. Um, You take the other guy number two and it's a no brainer. We saw D'Angelo Russell at Ohio State, and we said, I don't know if it's that much of a no-brainer, because this guy is doing some stuff that, like, college point guards, or really college players generally, but especially college uh, guards have not done in a very, very long time. And and we saw what we were looking for with games like last night. You know, it's like, we talk about it with all our guys, but it's it comes down to flashes. D'Angelo is not going to average 40 points a game at this stage in his career, because nobody is. Um, but the fact that he can do this kind of stuff right now is extremely, extremely encouraging. Um, a 40 point game. I know Kyrie Irving, two things on this. Kyrie Irving is not known for being a fantastic defender, but this is not like a, the NBA is especially a team defense, like the Cavs who are like an elite team defense. They don't get by because they are individually, you know, one through five, all NBA defensive team. You know what I mean? Like, they get by because they're a really, really good t- team defense. That's number one. Number two, Iman Shumpert, who was known for being like a defensive lockdown player, was actually matched up on D'Angelo for most of the game. Um, Kyrie got some burst of defending him, but it was mostly Shumpert. And despite all of this, D'Angelo Russell went out against 
you know, the best team in the East, defending NBA champs, and drop 40 points. And it wasn't just like he got super hot and hit a million threes. He did hit seven threes, but he... He was he, he was doing everything, you know, and it was just it was very impressive to see him pull all that off. Well, also the Cavaliers. I mean, what's the other time that a Laker has been double teamed and forced to give the ball up in the fourth quarter? Because that's essentially what the Cavs did to D'Angelo in the fourth quarter. Exactly. He was only able to take two shots and he did the right thing by passing it out because they were trapping him yeah, every, every time. time. So the fact that yeah, he, he wasn't forcing it. No, exactly. And he had six assists, like we said, and one turnover. One of his assists was uh, that sneaky bounce pass to Julius Randle for a three pointer where he did like the Tiger Woods fist pump, <laughs> which is really cool. Yeah. But yeah, D'Angelo played pretty much a, a perfect game and he shot 14 for 22 from the field, 7 of 12 from 3. His best play, actually, was that baseline fadeaway jump shot against Kyrie Irving where he, he did that behind-the-back crossover dribble into, like, a semi-palming <laughs> dribble, but, like, on, yeah. on Kyrie Irving, right? He did the Kyrie Irving on Kyrie Irving, gave him a taste of his own medicine. And I thought that was a super impressive play where he showed off some of his dribbling skill, showed his confidence, and was able to hit a fadeaway baseline jump shot right in Kyrie's face. But outside of that, like you said, he had... Iman Shumpert matched up against him a couple times as well. And he just, yeah, took the game by the horns pretty much and was the reason why the Lakers, you know, in the third quarter had like a double-digit lead against the Cleveland Cavaliers. So I was just very impressed and really glad that he had this type of game after what was probably a very, very frustrating week. You know, a lot of stuff about was he responding well to the benching? No, he wasn't. He was even saying some cryptic messages against Luke. And all of a sudden, we're wondering if Luke even likes the guy anymore. So to have him have this type of game was just a huge sigh of relief for, I think, everyone involved. Um, all of a sudden, we realized, oh, you know, Luke Luke really does like this guy. He does value this guy a lot. And even after the game, we found out D'Angelo Russell was at the Lakers facility working out again. Everything he did last night was, again, it was something that, if you had applied enough context and perspective and foresight to D'Angelo Russell the last two seasons, it shouldn't be that much of a surprise to you, right? Even going back to last year, he had 39 points, hit eight threes. I think he's also the youngest player to hit seven threes in three different games, you know, in his in, two, in the crazy. first two years. That's crazy, right? So he's doing all this historic stuff, but for some reason, it's taken such a long time for his biggest skeptics and haters to get on board, even though he does have historic games, historic numbers, historic per 36 numbers. You hear, you always hear like only LeBron James has done this before in a per 36 scale. Only Kobe Bryant has done this. He's the youngest Laker to do this. He's the youngest Laker to hit threes. All the while only averaging 27 minutes. You know, he's averaging less minutes than last year. So that's con- that's, the, that's the context I'm talking about, right? He's averaging less minutes than last year. His assisted turnover ratio is better than last year. He's, sh- you know, he's shooting better than last year. He's scoring more last year in one minute less, you know? So that's context, right? Last year, who was his coach? It was freaking Byron Scott. That's context once again. And that's the- those are all the things we've been saying. This guy is only 21 years old. He had to play under Byron his first year in a very limiting Princeton offense that didn't allow him to do what he wanted to do. And then this year, you know, because Lou Williams was on the team, he always had a tug and pull with regards to his minutes and could never consistently get 32 plus minutes. But we saw whenever he does get 32 plus minutes, what does he average? 20 and 6, which is a better rate than his per 36 numbers. So when we're throwing out all this context and perspective, 
we also align that with the eye test, right? Our biggest thing has been, look, we obviously he can't dribble drive all the way all the way into the lane and dunk like Russell Westbrook. But what he can do is he has a very lethal mid-range game. He has a very above average three-point shot that when he gets hot, it's stop it's impossible to stop him. And he has a turnaround jump shot that a lot of point guards don't have and a post game that a lot of point guards don't have because of his size. And you put that together with the fact that guys like Steve Nash, who are historically unathletic, can get into the lane and be crafty. And you'd imagine once D'Angelo fills out his body and learns how to do that more, he could easily become a Steve Nash type finisher in the lane. You put all those things together and there's no reason why he can't be a fringe all-star superstar type player. And this is all we've been saying, but a lot of people, it's taken them so long to even get on board despite all of the statistical facts. And I guess because they just hate him because of his attitude. And I get that, you know, his immaturity and whatnot, but just looking at the stats, what he's done based off of the context he's had to work with. And then also obviously the flashes he's shown for us. This is why we've been so high on D'Angelo Russell and for him to have another game like this, yeah, it just validates everything we've been talking about. And even if we took away this game, you know, people have been like, I just want him to be consistent. And my thing was, well, actually, besides last week, he was very consistent post-All-Star break. He was averaging 20 and 6. So yeah, to have this game was, was awesome. It was lit. And I'm, I'm just glad D'Angelo Russell was able to get out of that, that mini rut he was in the last week. So I don't know if you had anything else to add. Uh, yeah, the main, <clears throat> the main thing I wanted to add was Laker fans also sometimes have to remember that because we are sitting here watching this horrible team agonizing over every game and every player every single night, like we are going to even more so focus on, um, on the negatives of a particular player. Okay. Because we see it every single night. And when we see other players, you know, other young players from other teams, we're only getting snapshots and highlights of what they're, of what they're doing. You know, if you, pulled like random NBA fans. Oh, who do you think is having a way better season? Chris Stapps, Porzingis or D'Angelo Russell? Most of them would say Chris Stapps. Not necessarily, that's necessarily wrong, right? But if you look at the numbers for March to date, Chris Stapps is averaging 17 points a game, shooting 41% from the field and 30% from three. And this is a seven foot three dude on a team where he is like basically the guy now because the team is tanking and he's the he is like the focal point of the future. And there's no like if ands or buts about it, he's the guy. And despite that, he's shooting forty one percent from the field as a seven three guy. And you just talked about D'Angelo's number. So I guess my point with that is these guys are still very young. There's gonna be ups and downs, and D'Angelo has not shown any, you know, any signs that uh, that he's not who we think he's going to be, and we just have to be patient. And he'll—he's going to be a good player. You know what I mean? I don't know if he's going to be an all-star player. I don't know what he is ultimately going to be, but he is, in my opinion, clearly shown that he is a very, very, very solid NBA starting caliber player. I mean, if you put his numbers up against a lot of starting point guards in the NBA who've been in the NBA for ten years he's comparable, you know what I mean, as a 21-year-old point guard who has had to go through all these ups and downs and is only playing 27 minutes a game, like you said. So context, like you keep saying, I think it's so important, it can't be stated enough. It's very important, and D'Angelo is a really good example of that, and I'm really excited about about the future for him, and I think, yeah, it, you sort of we sort of saw flashes of what he could be playing off the ball, and... This is something that 
I don't know if, how long people have been listening to this podcast, but a while ago we had a man named Ed Isaacson on this podcast, and he was not the biggest D'Angelo proponent, especially as a point guard. But, you know, to his credit, whenever we pushed him or whenever anybody pushed him, he always said, it's not that I don't think D'Angelo's not going to be a good player. I think he can be a very, very good scorer. I just don't think he's an NBA point guard. And maybe he was right, you know. And that's and not to say D'Angelo can't be an NBA point guard. I just think that he wants to shoot and he wants to score, and that's his primary instinct. And you sort of saw when it became his primary instinct when he was started off the ball in this game, he still got six assists yep. because he's developed that aspect of his game but he only had one turnover because he wasn't constantly put in a position where his primary role was to initiate the offense and make passes. You have to put guys in in where they're comfortable. So it's like Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant was able to average five assists a game as a career for over his career as a shooting guard. But we saw flashes in Mike D'Antoni's system when he was put in the position of being the true, true point guard, he would get his assist, but he would also turn it over like, eight times a game, you know, similar, yeah. s- sort of similar to what we're seeing with Harden. And, and that's not to say, and, and Kobe Bryant, by the way, had way more experience over D'Angelo when he was put in that position. So if D'Angelo is put in, in, in positions where he can thrive and succeed, I think we can expect to see this sort of thing relatively uh, more consistently. And I'm, and that's why, you know, getting back to what we were talking about earlier with Lonzo and all these other guys, if, if D'Angelo, if we dra- end up drafting a guard, D'Angelo might actually get better, you know, because he'll be put in a position where he's playing off the ball even more and there's somebody else there who can initiate and he doesn't have to do everything by himself. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, D'Angelo said it himself and we've mentioned it many times on this podcast. D'Angelo's scoring opens up his passing. He's less schizo, less frenetic when he's got the juices flowing on the offensive end and he's hitting his shot all of a sudden his passes are a lot crisper they're a lot more on point etc etc and we saw that happen last night he was just in a much better flow of the game because he was on fire um and you know that game in general a lot of people in the past have always especially his haters always like to qualify anything good he does by saying oh well he only gets hot against really bad teams or he only gets hot against really crappy teams or he only gets hot in garbage time well guess what that game and and it's almost why I almost wanted the win because I wanted to be let's just get the win so we have this game forever to say not only did Angelo do all this but he led the team to victory but even without the victory he was closely competitive till the very end but D'Angelo Russell from the wire had it going on, kept it through, sustained it against a very good Cleveland Cavaliers team defense to the point where they were trapping him in the fourth and nobody can take anything away from him with that game, you know, last night. (laughs) I jokingly said it'll only take 83 straight more games like this for D'Angelo to shut haters up and for them to finally call him a quote-unquote good player. But the next game, if he has a crappy game, we'll go back to calling him a bust, right? Because that's just people's line of thinking here. It doesn't matter that the last month the guy has been averaging 20 and 6. If he has one stretch where he's bad for three games because he was benched, nobody takes into account that he was benched at a very inopportune time and he he had trouble adjusting to that, you know? So I hope that he can just be consistently okay to to close this year out, you know, Um, to hopefully shut up the haters and the doubters. So so yeah, good on D'Angelo Russell. I think the last thing I wanted to talk about with regards to this game is Brandon Ingram. So I think this was a very important game for Ingram because 
he started off the game very, very shaky. He was one for six, I believe. And I was like, oh, no. Because he was matched up with LeBron. I'm like, this guy's just like folding right now. I know, right? And then all of a sudden, he rebounded and realized, I'm long, I'm tall, I will have certain matchups in this game where I'll get switched onto a smaller guy and I just need to relax. And that's exactly what he did. He ended up shooting above 50%, I believe. He was 7 for 12 or something like that. Yeah. Ended up with 18 points. Yeah, 6 rebounds and, you know, flashed the turnaround jump shot. He hit that clutch one in the fourth quarter. I think it was against Iman Shumper, and I was like, ooh. Like the, The fact that he had that aggressiveness in him with the four minutes left to take that shot against a very, very good defender in Shumpert was really great to see. And then obviously, I think he's starting to get more and more comfortable with his off-the-dribble jump shot. We've been seeing him take that shot off the dribble a lot more, and he's been hitting it as well. Obviously, it's still his three-point shot that needs a little bit work, a little bit of work. But outside of that, you know, in this March, you know, Brandon Ingram is averaging 12.9 points, 4.1 rebounds, 2.6 assists, almost one steal and one block a game on 54.9% true shooting percentage. And this is his sixth game out of the last eight where he shot above 52%. So these are legit progressive strides from Ingram, where earlier in the season he was shooting 35%. We didn't know exactly what he could do on a consistent basis. It would just be like one good play he'd have a game. But now we're just seeing him put it all together and really just have solid, solid games. And if he continues this to finish March, he might get his first Rookie of the Month Western Conference bid. Um, Right now I think he's competing against Jamal Murray, but that's really his only competition. So I really hope he can stay this solid to end March. But yeah, what did you see out of Brandon Ingram? Pretty much the same thing you've said uh he's gotten to the point it's like your brain gets trained for certain responses right so there was a period this season where every time brandon ingram shot the ball i was like that's gonna be a brick (laughs) you know what i mean they're like that's gonna be short or that's gonna be you know it usually was short um but he has now hit this stretch where it's been so long that he's been playing well. I'm still sort of surprised when he, <laughs> he just continues to knock down these these uh, these awesome like real NBA move shots. But I'm getting less and less surprised each time. I guess you could say uh, when he does it, he's he looks great. I think he. I don't know what happened again. People keep saying that Magic Johnson talked to him about how he should attack the basket and whatnot. I'm not. I don't know if that's true, but. It felt like in the beginning of the season he thought this was still college and he could just get right to the rim and use his length to elevate over people and put the shot over the defenders. But I think he quickly realized that if you can't absorb a hit, you're you're not going to be able to do anything. So he got better at taking hits and putting up shots and drawing fouls, and that opened up his mid-range game a bit. And the only thing that's missing right now is his three-point shot, which we know he's ultimately going to get. he could shoot the three in college, and I fully understand that the college three is closer than the NBA three, but he's got, like, his shot mechanics are just beautiful. Like, when he puts up a shot, even when I know he's going to miss it, it just looks good. You know what I mean? Um, so that's something that will come with time. He's young. And surprise, surprise, I mean, let me pull up his numbers really quick so I have his numbers over the course of the season. But I think when the season started, we said he'll probably finish right around – 40% from the field and right around, you know, 29, 30% from three, which is what Kevin Durant shot as a rookie in the NBA. Right. And despite the horrendous, horrendous start 
if you recall, at some point this season, Brandon Ingram was like had the lowest shooting percentage in the NBA among players who qualified. Okay, and despite that, he is on pace to easily hit 40% from the field overall and about 29, 30% from three over the course of the season. Probably by the time it's all said and done, he'll be at about 10 points a game too. So this is pretty much what we expected. You know, maybe we expected the points per game to be a little bit higher, but we also didn't know like how much of a role Lou Williams was going to have on the team, how much of a role Nick Young was going to have on a team. Um, Etc. Etc. So we thought maybe Brandon would be responsible for more uh, offense, and he's shown it recently. But in terms of points per game, I'm not really worried about it. All those percentages are exactly where I'd like them to be at this stage. And he's going to continue to get better, and he's going to continue to get better next season. And this is the type of guy who we're going to have to give him a few years. But in a few years, we're going to look back, and it's going to be like holy crap, Brandon Ingram is only 23 years old. How is he doing this? Yeah, totally. You know, and right now he's just 19. And that's what people have to remember. He's got a ways to go. And you can, if, if, if even just assuming steady growth, but again, by the time he's 23, I think people are going to be looking back and saying, how, how old is Brandon Ingram? How is this fool only 23? How is he doing all this? And then you're going to realize, oh, he's a fourth year player. And he just needed some time to d- develop. And like we've mentioned in the past, you know, Brandon Ingram is younger or as old as some of the top three picks, and that's including Markel Fultz. I think he's only like a couple months older than Fultz. He's pretty much the same age as Lonzo Ball, and he's definitely younger than Josh Jackson. So keep that in mind. Um, I don't know if you saw over the weekend, or I, I got into a Twitter argument <laughs> with <laughs> with a random Bucks beat reporter or whatever who tweeted i found it on someone else's timeline i, I, I kind of saw it oh my it. god dude i cannot believe he, he pretty much said hmm if we did a redraft of the 2016 nba draft would we pick thon maker over brandon ingram and i was just like what are you talking about dude like i couldn't even understand why this was even a question and he was like i stand by that question Okay, you can stand by that all you want. It's just a really ridiculously stupid question. Obviously, he's shown some flashes, but this guy is averaging eight minutes. And I guess because he's <laughs> because he's exceeded expectations in his eight minutes for a competitive team, all of a sudden these guys from other teams who have never seen the Lakers play outside of when they're matched up against them are making these assumptions based off of Brandon Ingram's bad analytics. You know what I mean? They're saying, oh, but he has the worst plus minus of any rookie. Look what he's doing. His shooting percentage are crap he's playing 30 plus minutes and not doing that much and I was like have you watched this guy play every single game do you know what he can actually do skill wise do you see how long he is have you seen his progression as a playmaker have you seen his progression come March how is it that these guys and I find that this is such a double standard especially with some of these teams who look at their own prospects and are able to apply so much context perspective and foresight for their own guys but then when they see a guy like Brandon Ingram and they they look at his stats and all they're going off of is stats right they're like oh but he's just been unimpressive as a number two pick and I'm like okay but that doesn't to, to go from that and make the leap that hmm is it a question that maybe Thon Maker should go over Brandon Ingram is just preposterous to me like i don't understand how people can take that leap <laughs> just because they've seen thon maker 
day in, day out, they see that, okay, Bird 36 wise, because he's only averaging eight minutes and he's averaging three points and two rebounds per 36 wise, that's really, really good. That doesn't mean that if he gets 30 minutes that Brandon Ingram's getting, he's going to be doing well, you know, it might even expose some of his flaws. So just frustrates me hearing these guys talk and coddle their own prospects and then not apply that same sort of perspective on another guy like Brandon Ingram, who they've probably at most watched some YouTube highlights, but they haven't watched the full games like we have all year to even know the progression. And also just the fact that the timing that this the timing of everything is just so weird. Like why would you choose now to bring up this point that oh, could Thonmaker go over Brandon Ingram? I don't know. I don't know. Brandon Ingram's also having the best month of his NBA career. Why would you bring it up now? You know, Thonmaker against us played nine minutes, was zero for three, zero points got punked by Ivica Zubats at the center position. It was just a really, really strange tweet. I just hope that it just stops and we allow these guys more time to actually know what's going on, to make that leap that redraft this 2016 NBA draft again and maybe Brandon Ingram is going to do worse. It just lends itself to a lot of insecurity from these teams. I've heard a bunch of stuff about Dario Saric from the Sixers as well. These teams with persecution complexes and inferiority complexes always have to find a way to knock a guy like Brandon Ingram, just because he was high profile, he's a Lakers pick, he's number two, and because he's not, he's underwhelming so far statistically, but they don't have the proper context, right, to, to really make a proper assessment, and then they can easily say, oh, Dario Sarge is a better prospect. Well, I mean, yeah, Dario Sarge is probably going to be the rookie of the year. But he's also two years older than Brandon Ingram. He played in the Euro three years actually three years, and he played in the Euro League, like an actual professional league, before he came into the NBA. He, yeah, he's already a much more polished player than Ingram, of course. But Ingram is nineteen. He's longer than Dario Sarge. Has more defensive potential. Dario Sarge is a one-way player right now. He's slower than Ingram, and Ingram still needs to fill out his body. You know, that's I think the context that these other teams don't apply. They just look at the stats. They maybe look at some of his highlights and say he's been unimpressive. Okay, fine. That's it. So I don't know if you had anything to say about that, but I'm I'm 100% behind Brandon Ingram in spite of his slow progress because I think something else that these guys forget is not every player's timeline and progression is the same. You know, what if it takes mm-hmm. what if it takes one guy three years, but he ends up being the better player in three years? You know, exactly. I, I agree with pretty much everything you said, and like I on the Dario Saric point, like I said, he is Dario Saric is three full years older than Brandon Ingram besides like playing in professional leagues and all that stuff overseas. Okay. So the one example that at this point, I honestly can't remember if I brought it up on this podcast or if I talked to you about it offline to, to your point about just because somebody's better now, doesn't mean that's the guy you want later. I always point back to the 2009 draft, and I point back to that draft because it produced a lot of all-stars, and it, it, it produced a lot of, like, beyond all-stars, like, MVP-type, you know, superstar-level players. Number one pick that year was Blake Griffin. If you could do that draft 100 times, 100 out of 100 times in 2009, the team drafting number one would have taken Blake Griffin. If you took a poll three years after that draft, three or four, even four years after that draft, and said, who would you take number one if we had to redraft this? 90 to 100% of the people would still say Blake Griffin. Okay, what, you fa- what people fail to remember is other players drafted in that draft were in the top 10 were James Harden, Steph Curry, and DeMar DeRozan. <laughs> and now that we're seven years removed from that draft, 
at least two of those three guys, every team in the NBA would rather take James Harden, Steph Curry over Blake Griffin. And it's not to say Blake Griffin sucks. It's that's just to say that, like, we don't know the time just because somebody's more ahead or like more advanced right now doesn't mean that that that's how things are going to play out in the long run. I mean, to put even more perspective into this, James Harden and Steph Curry were both older than Blake Griffin as rookies as well. So when you're thinking as like one of those teams like um, Oklahoma City or Golden State, you're looking down the line like three years after the draft and you're thinking, okay, here I am with my James Harden, Steph Curry, and they're older than Blake Griffin and they're not nearly as good as Blake Griffin. God, I wish, could you imagine if I had the number one pick that year and was able to take Blake Griffin? But like just a few years removed from that, nobody would want Blake Griffin over those other two guys. You know what I mean? So it's like you just have to let this stuff play out and – Brandon Ingram has shown all the signs that he is going to be a very, very good NBA player. He's probably, I mean, he's definitely, in my opinion, a top two asset in, on our team in terms of you can't trade this guy for anybody pretty unless you're getting like a superstar, young, you know, ish player. But we talk about it all the time and, and, I, and I'll continue to say it. You just have to wait because in three years, this guy is going to be Dario Saric's current age. Right. So in three years, come back, come back to me with how does he compare against Dario Saric at age 22? Okay, so we'll just have to wait and see. Well, and also to get back to Thonmaker, I just love that we're talking about Thonmaker. Yeah, Thonmaker. You know, this, this guy is, uh, you know, he's averaging 40, I mean, he's shooting 41% from the field, 39% from three. That's great. You know, he's only averaging eight minutes, but... He's also a full year older than Brandon Ingram. And according to reports, we have no idea if he's five years older than Brandon Ingram. Right. Know, this guy could, could honestly be 20, 25 years old. And th- there, there have been passport reports that really he is that old, you know. So taking yeah. that into account and then not only the fact that these two play t- two different positions – Thon Maker is a power forward slash center. So whatever points yes. he's getting right now, he's getting off dump offs for dunks, you know? So if he's shooting one percentage better than Brandon Ingram, there's a reason for that. Brandon Ingram has totally different responsibilities than freaking Thon Maker. Brandon <laughs> Ingram is required to handle the ball almost as a point forward. So if he has more turnovers, there's a reason why. But he's also developing, pl- developing playmaking skills that Thon Maker doesn't have. And so right now, all of Thonmaker's shots are either coming from the perimeter for wide open threes because bigs aren't guarding him, or dump offs in the paint for dunks, and that's it. I was going to say the Thonmaker thing is almost so ridiculous <laughs> that I I can't even be bothered really to engage. Sure. Like Thonmaker in March, ten minutes a game, shooting thirty one percent from the field and nineteen percent from three. Woo! Averaging three points a game in March. Okay, like. And getting a consistent, like he's played every game. He just only plays 10 minutes a game. So you're comparing that, and he's already older, by the way. You're comparing somebody like that to Brandon Ingram, who from day one as an 18-year-old was, or sorry, as a 19-year-old was getting thrown out in there into the fire and is like, hey, you are like one of our best players, sadly. So you have to go out there and play 25 to 30 minutes a game as a 19-year-old, and you have no idea what the hell you're doing. Right. So, and you have to have the ball in your hands and you have to initiate the offense and you have to take shots. It's not like Thon Maker, hey, go out there and sort of get experience, play 10 minutes a game. And if somebody passes you the ball, try your best to dunk it. You know, it's not, it's, it's completely different. So, 
And, you know, some people will say, and I've actually, someone actually tweeted me this. He's like, well, if Thonmaker was on the Lakers and got as many minutes as Brandon Ingram, he'd be doing better. I'm like, what? How, no. do, you, how do you know that? How would you possibly know that? Thonmaker's career high is 12 points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so again, ridiculous. Don't listen to fans who have not watched, unless they've honestly watched Brandon Ingram every single game like we have. I will not take any fan, other fans' opinion seriously when they pit their prospect that they've seen night in, night out against Brandon Ingram, who they see the hollow stats, and they're just like, ah, oh, he's not that good for a number two pick, you know? So I, I listened to none of that. I reject it all, especially this Thonmaker thing. And I, I forgot to tell you that, I'm also going to shout his name out. It's uh, at Dan Schaefer, MKE, if you want to tweet right. him. But his mic drop to me was sending me a Bleacher Report article or Ringer, one of those three. It was a, a Ringer article on Thonmaker and how he's a unicorn prospect because he comes from <laughs> a harsh background in Sudan and had to undergo all of this trouble and how Kevin Garnett has worked with him and said that he's going to be the next Kevin Garnett. And I'm just like, did you really send me an article that I have to read in order to see all of his unique skills and his unicorn-like qualities. I was like, how hypocritical is that? That you're making me apply context to your random prospect who's averaging three points per game and one rebound, (laughs) but you're not going to do the same to freaking Brandon Ingram? I was just like, he he literally said, quote unquote, I'll leave this right here. And I was like, what is this article supposed to be? Like, (laughs) Yeah, I know. You'll leave one right here. No, it's like Brandon Ingram in February. It's not like this just happened. He's been doing this for two games, and now we're all overreacting. We sort of saw murmurs about this, and we started talking about this in February. In February, although he went through a a stretch where he was a little bit uh, shaky, over the course of the month, he averaged 10 points a game on 44% shooting and 36% from three. Okay, and then in March, he's averaging 13 points a game and 51% shooting. So he's playing like extremely, extremely well for a 19 year old wing in the NBA, you know, wing, which is like he's consistently night after night matched up against guys who weigh 30 pounds more than he does. So and not to mention that that guy tweeted that out on the night that Brandon Ingram freaking posterized Giannis Antetokounmpo and Malcolm Brogdon. So. Uh, it's just ironic on, on many levels. So yeah, we've seen at least one super athletic feat or dunk from Brandon Ingram every game since, pretty much since the Flashes the Progress game where we saw him dunk over Jonas Valanciunas. And it's been it's been a sight to see. And once he gains some pounds there, he's going to be even more confident. He might even have more lift in his legs. And he's going to be relentless in terms of going into the lane, dunking, using his length, just like Giannis. So, so yeah, I think to close this, what about Nwaba though? I just want to talk about Nwaba. Uh, this guy... He was guarding LeBron James at points and forcing LeBron James to pass it out to the perimeter. It was very jarring, yeah. Just his how strong this guy is, how solid he is on defense, but not only that, how athletic he is on the offensive end whenever he's running down for dunks and stuff has been really impressive. You know, people have been calling him Tony Allen, but he's way more athletic than Tony Allen. Um, he's explosive, and obviously his 10-day contract expires today really, really hoping that he gets signed on for the rest of the year and maybe even more on a partially guaranteed contract. I see no reason why, because he's been our most influential defensive player on this team the entire year in 20 games or 20 days. So yeah, what have you thought about David Nwaba, the Black Nwaba? The the, the Black Nwaba, I really like this guy. Um, and I hope he does get a spot. Um, Luke mentioned it. Uh, I'm going to talk to the front office about his future. I would not be that surprised. I don't know who is going to be the person to get cut, but I would not be that surprised if they sign Noaba for the rest of the season and release somebody. Um, 
presumably it would be meta because he doesn't play. Uh, and we're, we're getting to the point of the season where it's like, okay, there's like, what, three weeks left? Like, how much is meta really going to, like, how much left does he have to teach these guys? Um, go start your vacation early. But yeah. I would be very happy, because I know that the point, the only reason we wouldn't re-sign him is because we want to test out other guys on 10-day deals. And I totally respect that, and I actually agree with that as well. And to me, the compromise is release meta and then sign on Nawaba for the rest of the season because we can't give him any more 10 days and then go for the 10-day route with a couple of maybe one or two other guys to close out the season. I think Nawaba is impressed me more and more each game. At first, I was like, oh, this guy doesn't really have anything offensively, but... You know, he's known for his defense, so that's what we're going to try to see if, if he can maybe maybe one day work on his offense and work himself in. I didn't realize, like you said, this guy can do stuff. When he has the ball, it's like, okay, he can't shoot threes, fine. but And he's not really a jump shooter, fine. But when he has the ball, he's a threat to do something. It's not like Tony Allen where Kobe Bryant was standing like 10 feet away from him. <laughs> You know, clapping his hands when Tony Allen shot. Like, Nawaba is a threat to put the ball on the floor and take it right to the brim. Yeah. Um, and when he gets there, he can explode on it. He kind of reminds me of, like, Shannon Brown, if Shannon actually played defense. <laughs> sure. um, and, you know, they've got similar builds and similar heights. Uh, he's a little, I mean, Shannon was like 6'3", so he's a little bit taller. But that explosiveness off the ground, I think, is is really, really impressive. And... Like you said, this guy was getting switched on to six eight six nine LeBron James, and he was at least forcing him to do something that he didn't want to do, you know. And he was getting switched on to Kyrie Irving, and he had like one emphatic rejection yep. on Kyrie Irving, which for some reason didn't get logged as a block. I'm looking at his his stats right now. Do you know you know what I'm talking yeah, about, yeah. right? There was one play where he just like swatted it, like it was he was like he put some English on it, and and. Uh, for stuff like that, it's worth having him around. It's worth having him around just to have a guy like that in practice to really hound D'Angelo yeah. and Clarkson. Um, and I think there's a spot for this guy. Nick Young is not going to be on the team next year, most likely. And frankly, I'm sick of watching Nick Young just not play defense for 30 minutes a game. So to the extent we can keep this guy as another guard to take away minutes from Nick Young, I'm very okay with that. Um I'd rather see him play than Corey Brewer. Uh, I think he, he sort of brings that Corey Brewer energy, um, but with actual productiveness. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'd be very happy if we could keep him. If we don't, I understand, you know, because we want to take a look at some other guys too, and I highly doubt anybody else is going to go sign David Nuava for the last, you know, 15 games of the season. Yeah. But. I, I really, I do hope we keep them, get a closer look even, and then release Meta or somebody so that we can, uh, uh, so that we can maybe sign some other guys to 10 days. Yeah, for sure. So props to David Nwaba for bringing the effort, energy, and just, yeah, him always being able to really hold his ground against anybody. So yeah, the Lakers are looking good. They've had two straight games where they fought really hard, made it competitive, and that's how we hope they're going to stay to end the season. I don't know if you saw this, but the Lakers actually put out a picture or something that said that we've had four starters who have had career highs from Zubats with 25, Clarkson matching his career high with 30 points last week, Julius Randle getting 32 points against Houston Rockets, which is a career high, and then D'Angelo Russell last night getting 40 points. So that's pretty amazing. That's a pretty amazing week considering how wonky it was and how up and down it was that yeah. we had four starters get their career highs in each one of those games. So hopefully... 
we can all have it all come together in one game where all these guys just gel together and look really good and hopefully just lose at the end again. So (laughs) there you go. Um, Yeah, so there we go. The Lakers, like we said, hopefully they continue to fall upward to close the season and we get Lonzo Ball, Markel Fultz, or Josh Jackson. So there we go. Once again, follow us on Twitter at LakersLegacyPod. Please also rate interview us on iTunes. Also, t-shirt contest all about that tri-blend soft-ass tea life. That said, Tommy, I'll let you go. Later. All right. Peace out, everybody. This is what flow from Progressive sounds like in one of our many hilarious commercials. Hi, did you know that you can get a quote on your motorcycle insurance in under three minutes at Progressive.com? And did you know that saying hi makes even bad news sound good? Hi, you have high cholesterol. Hi, you're fine. And this is what that same commercial sounds like on your motorcycle. Hi, there's no more cake. Yeah, even our commercials sound better on a bike. And with basic policy starting at $75 a year, Progressive helps keep you on yours. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Annual premium for basic liability policy not available in all states.